live from Parts Unknown, it's the KNA Sports Picks Podcast. cheering fans will pack Madison Square Garden in New York City to witness a giant basketball doubleheader. In that cheering crowd, sitting in row C, seat 11, will be a modest 77-year-old man. Those fans won't know that he made possible the game they're watching, but you're going to meet him now. Sanka Coffee has brought him here tonight all the way from Lawrence, Kansas. Dr. James A. Naismith, the inventor of basketball. Thank you so much. Little did I know when I invented the great game of basketball how popular the NCAA tournament would be, and I had no idea what a marvelous show that would come about in the 2010s, the k Sports Picks podcast, my favorite show. Oh, man, thank you, Dr. James Naismith. That is truly an honor to be one of your your favorite podcasts. I mean, I cannot tell you how much uh, we are honored. Um, you know, your invention of the great game of basketball has led to us getting through the work month of March. Um, so we're in full swing in the NCAA brackets. Tanner, how's your brackets doing? My bracket is in disarray. Um, two of my final four picks are out. Um, one of them was the Longhorns, who, after winning the Big 12 tournament, shockingly lost in the first round to Abilene Christian, committed 22 turnovers, uh, so just a devastating blow for the Longhorn uh, nation. But I think they'll be back. They have a good coach. Um, and then my pick to win it all, Illinois, lost to Loyola Chicago. Once again, the darling of the uh, tournament. So I, my brother, oh, yeah. pretty much has you, no Do chance. you think they're the darling because of the whole uh, sister, sister, was it sister Jean? Yeah, that... yeah, I think so. <laughs> but yeah, um, so my bracket is definitely in the busted phase. I still have two Final Four teams, and I was on the fence between Gonzaga. In Illinois, and I should have picked Illinois, but hey, the Colorado Buffaloes have a good chance to go to the Sweet 16, so that's exciting. Yeah, my bracket is pretty much in, in the same shape as yours. I mean, I, I picked Gonzaga, but I also picked Illinois um, to make it to the, the finals against Gonzaga, and so I had a different strategy this year. Each year, um, you know, I, I've always, since a little kid, like following NCAA basketballs, I like it more than 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 the pros, and um, you know I study it, and then I read all these expert opinions, and every year, you know I I go game through game analyzing the game, and I always finish near the last place in the brackets. New strategy this year, I let it I uh, let Yahoo auto fill in my bracket, and then I just changed up one or one or two games. So wow. I'm going to go in the same result. I'm near the, near the bottom. I'm going to go back to analyzing every game for one reason and one reason only. I mean, I found no matter what I do, my picks are terrible. 
But at least when I go game to game, I remember who I picked. I have no wow. idea who I picked because I auto-filled it in. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. So Colorado, um, any other teams out there that, that interest you? Houston, um, which as we speak at the time of the podcast, um, let's see. They would. They were in a battle with Rutgers, not of uh, Arizona, the Rutgers of New, New Jersey. Jersey, and they are down by three with a minute to go. So they were probably the team I was most following outside of Texas and uh, Colorado. But they could be. Yeah, they were. They were a darling. And of course, uh, you know, I followed them a little bit as a as a Tulsa guy, and Tulsa actually upset Houston this year. And if you were upset or you lost to Tulsa this year, then I think your team may not um, be best equipped to make a long, long run because Tulsa is terrible. Again. But um, so those were the two teams of I must. I wouldn't mind. I like the story of Gonzaga, you know, mid major. They've come close, but never quite have won it. Um, an undefeated uh, season. So if Houston uh, loses, then probably Colorado and the Zags would be the ones I'm following the most uh, closely. Yeah, I I agree with you. Gonzaga reminds me like last year, Virginia winning. And then there was a few years back where Arizona won. I I like these teams that have been, been close for, for years. And finally, it just seems like there's one year, like a Virginia finally breaks through after after years of, of being close. Arizona one year broke broke through Syracuse this the same thing. And I think I think this is Gonzaga's year. They're they're deep. Um, they have a lot of offensive firepower. The only thing that would worry me is is their defense is um maybe not elite, but they've got a lot of offensive firepower. So I I I'm hopeful that they would would uh, pull through and win the championship. Um, and it's nice to see a, a North Carolina and a Duke uh, not not making it to the Sweet 16. So that's yes. Um, nothing against those programs, but it's it's nice to see some new new schools in there. And it was disappointing um, the other day. I don't know if you saw there it was the first team that had to pull out because of COVID. Uh, the VCU Rams. Um, but other than that, it seems like it's been a pretty smooth uh, tournament so so uh, far. So that's been fun. Um, of course, watching the games, you know, it's not the same without the fans. Um, it was just always fun, the fans, because it seemed like any time there was an upset, you know, the fans would get behind the team and there was just a certain energy. I don't, I don't think there's any bands this year, so it's not quite the same um, – atmosphere but still props to the ncaa because so far it seems like it's gone smoothly it has gone real smoothly and yeah i agree i miss i miss the the fans the excitement the bands there uh, w- one thing that i found pretty interesting is that a, a, a lot of people were picking were saying that because you're not having the fans in the stands that there was going to be less upsets that in years past you know, especially playing in a neutral neutral site, fans that don't have a dog in the hunt, underdog is keeping it close. 
the fans get behind the underdog and it, it helps with the emotions and, and the setting of the tournament and the pressure on the favorites that there would be less. But we've seen in this um, tournament that, that that hasn't been the case, that they're, they're, we still have those, those fun um, Cinderella stories. Well, it's been fun, and I'm looking forward to the Sweet 16, and hopefully Colorado can make it. A fun fact about Colorado, they have not, they do not have a long-storied basketball uh, history. The last time they made it to a Sweet 16 was 1969. All right. That was a miracle year. Speaking of 1969, uh, segue into, into baseball. Um, and you as the resident Texas Rangers, L.A. Dodgers, um, you're on a, the beat report of both both those fine baseball organizations. Um, how, how are they looking in spring training? Well, um, I'll give you two numbers. The first is 102, and that's the Las Vegas over-under odds for the wins for the Dodgers this year. Oh, geez. The second is 67, and that's the over uh, odds for the Rangers this year. Um, so two teams heading in very different directions. The Dodgers, world champions last year, added more wealth to their uh, lineup this year. Um, I mean, you know, I could pretty much play a clip from the past several years, but I think it goes without saying they're the favorites to win the West. They're the favorites to win the uh, NL. I will say one thing, this isn't a very scientific prediction, but the Dodgers have had a remarkable run of injury-free baseball. So it will be interesting to see if that continues this year, especially with the kind of the weird COVID season. Last year, the deep run into the playoffs. I mean, they played the most playoff games, I think, ever of a team. Um, They've been in the playoffs, obviously, for five years. So I'm just curious if the health and the stamina of the team can keep up. But right now, they look healthy. They look good. The Rangers are in the very beginning of a rebuild. Um, they're not going to be competitive this year, um, as I'm sure you can read. The Mets aren't going. The the Mets, as you'll get to, should have a good year this year. But it might be one of those similar Mets-like years when I think you can say the season's probably going to be wrapped up by May. Um, there, yeah, there's not much to say about the uh, the uh, Rangers, except Chris uh, Davis is on their uh, lineup, so that could be fun. Um, but, yeah. Is there anyone in, in the farm system that the fans are looking forward to? Because, you know, I've been a Mets fan, and, and nine times out of ten years – the Mets don't don't have a shot, but there's usually one guy on the farm, one young kid on the farm system that gives hope to to the fans of, of a glimpse of maybe a brighter future. Is there anyone on the Rangers farm that we should should look at? So look for Josh Jung. He actually came from Texas Tech. He was a draft pick a, a few years back. He's there been anointed their future star third baseman. Um, unfortunately, he got hurt during spring uh, training, so he's going to miss six to eight weeks. But I would suspect, I don't think he's going to start the year in the uh, majors, but I would suspect by midsummer he'll be called up, and he's probably the prospect that most Rangers fans are excited about, Josh Jung. 
Um, the disappointing thing about the Rangers is while the farm system has a couple good players, it's not very deep. I think I saw the last baseball ranking put it at like 23 or three out of 30 teams. Um, it's been getting better, but I think it's going to take a few years to get the farm system back up to snuff, and it's going to take a few years for those players to get back. So I'd say it's probably going to be five or six maybe lean years for the Rangers, but that's baseball. When you're not a big market team with billions of dollars at your disposal, you know, it's going to go in cycles. Speaking of teams with billions of dollars, the New York Metropolitans. I mean, it's 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 been a topsy-turvy world for us because the Mets have um, been so broke for so long, and we've got this billionaire hedge fund uh, manager, and finally our payroll has has jumped. Um, you know, we we made the big trade for Lindor at shortstop, um, so that's very exciting. I'm very excited about the lineup. Um, very disappointed that we're not having a DH because um, because we don't have a DH, um, we have to play Dom Smith out in left field in, instead of having Pete Alonso be the DH. Uh, so we're going to be good defensively. We have some good pitching depth, but our defense is is going to be shaky. That's that's going to be ultimately going to be a concern. You know, I'm 50-50 on whether the Mets can make make it as a as a wild card. I think the Atlanta Braves, they, they just have too much talent, um too much good young pitching. But I'm uh-huh. very optimistic for um a competitive season and a potential wild card. Well, the whole NFC, um the whole uh, NL East is going to be uh, talented. Um I think the Marlins will be much improved. I don't know if they'll be the same old uh, Marlins. I think that the Phillies, it's so hard to tell with the Phillies. They're a little sketchy. They certainly have the talent. Um, But, yeah, I think it's a tough division for for the uh, Mets, and I don't think there's any teams that are automatic wins. Um, But I think it's good for the Mets. I'm glad because it feels like so long they've kind of been just this – scraggly team but it's good that they have a bit of swagger a bit of money you know they're a new york based team and i think they should take advantage of that so that's exciting yeah it's it's good to see uh, as mets fans were so prone to being pessimistic um so it's so refreshing that you know there's there's some optimism i think we the Mets fans will be disappointed if we don't don't make a wild card. I mean that that is the expectation that that we will get one of the the two wild cards. And um, you know, with his money, Sandy Alderson is back as as general manager, who's who's outstanding. So you know, there's a, there's a lot to lot to look forward to. Um, and of course, the greatness of Jacob Degrom. Um, before we move into lesser questions, I think uh, you had a, a take on the Premier League that you wanted to let our fans know about. Sure. So I, I don't know. I'm sure our fans are divided. Where some fans closely follow uh, soccer, others might not. But um, the take for anyone who has not been following, it seems like Manchester City is cruising. For the uh, title, they should have it wrapped up. Um, probably pretty um, 
pretty uh, early in the uh, season, but they're doing well. They've been a machine. I think they've lost like one game in the past four months. I mean, they've just been an absolute machine. Um, Liverpool, as some fans might know, broke their championship drought and finally won the league for the first time in 20 years last year. Um, They're struggling. I think they're eighth in the league right now. And my beloved, if fans remember last year, we had that famous contest where Tottenham reached out personally and invited me to be a fan. So I've been following um, the Spurs this year. Um, They have had an up and down year. Disappointingly, they were knocked out of the uh, Europa League. But they're six. They're fighting for those top four spots. Um, if I had to predict who was going to finish the season in the top four in the Premier League, I'd say Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, and then that last four spot I think is going to be a dogfight between Leicester, West Ham, and Tottenham. But it's up for grabs. That so should be an exciting finish. Yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to see West Ham up there. See one one of the um, teams that haven't been doing so well recently. Um, it's disappointing. Southampton has probably been about the worst team in the second half of the year. Fortunately, they had such a good start to the Premier League that they they should be safe as far as relegation relegation goes. Um, and and they just made the semifinals of the FA Cup. Yeah, that that is right. That is right. Um, another thing that we're following, I've been following, and I've been posting about about it on our blog, KNA um, Picks at um, knapicks.com, is the quarterback situation in the NFL. I find it, uh, I found it fascinating this year for for several reasons. One is um, that you have two high-profile quarterbacks. Um, and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. And we had a listener question about Russell Wilson, so we'll get get to that a little bit later. But two high-pro quarterbacks and whether they would be traded. Uh, we actually had Carson Wentz being traded. Um, and Dak Prescott got $30 million. And we have potentially five quarterbacks coming out in this draft that people are projecting to be drafted in the first half of the first round. So um, it's fascinating. You know, the NFL is all about the quarterback. Teams like, you know, Chicago, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Carolina, Atlanta, they're all trying to figure out uh, the quarterback quarterback situation. So it's it's been an interesting offseason seeing um, if teams are, teams are going to make those moves. So um, next month we're going to get – we'll get into our spring baseball – training preview and also um talk a little nfl draft so that's that's where i've been been um spending some time studying blogging about awesome yeah i um i just pulled up the blog so and i see you posted quite a bit so i'm excited to read those yes there's one more division have to get to on their quarterback situation is the nfc west and we will we will be diving into that in the listener questions. Speaking of listener questions, we've we've got a bunch this week. So our first listener question is from Pete in Seattle. All right. Big fan of the show. He's also a big Seahawk guy. 
And he wants to know what our take is on the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll uh, controversy um, that, that, that's been coming out uh, in Seattle. Well, I think it's disappointing. Um, but ultimately, I think at the end of the day, I think both men are professionals. And I think both men, you know, will put aside any differences or squabbles. And I think we're going to see, I, I think there's more noise than actual uh, substance. And I think those two guys have been through a lot. Um, they've seen the Seahawks do some ups and downs. And I have, comp- and I have confidence that they'll both be ready to be professionals and to give their all to the team when training camp starts. And I wonder how much of this is caused by the agent. You know, the agent came out and said, Russell is not seeking a trade, but if he was traded, these, these are the, these are the four cities, four teams that he would be traded to. And one of them was Dallas and, uh, you know, New Orleans. Um, So the only realistic one that could be traded to that had kind of an opening was was the Chicago Bears. And it, there was a rumor out there that Chicago offered the Seahawks three first rounds, three second rounds, and a couple players. Well, um, Chicago doesn't draft in the first round. They don't draft until, until the early 20s. And if they got Russell Wilson – the picks coming back would be in in the in the twenties, and as we know, as Seahawks fans, the Seahawks never draft well when in the first round. Anyways, they usually trade out of the first round, so it made no, that trade makes no sense unless a team had a top five position. Like if you're talking about Miami Dolphins or New York Jets that have a second or third draft pick, and they could pick one of these elite quarterbacks in the draft. Otherwise, it it made abs- absolutely no sense. And I agree with you. I think. They're gonna, they're gonna put their personal differences behind. I mean, Pete is already trying to uh, create an offense that will let Russell shine. New offensive coordinator from from the Rams. Um, they traded for Jackson, a guard from from the Raiders. Resigned Chris Carson. They signed uh, a tight end Everett from from the Rams. So. I, th- I think it's going to be a well-balanced, they're good, you know, two tight ends, uh, you know, more of those um, quick-hitting plays instead of what we saw last year with Brian Schottenheimer, these slow-developing plays, no checkdowns, no screens. And, um, you know, it gave the offensive line no chance um, to, you know, protect Russell. Um, so I, th- I really think that, that next year – um, they're going to put Russell in a better situation where he won't be hit as much. So I think, I think, um, I think, yeah. I think, winning cures all. And For sure, they get off to a good start. It it uh, this will go away. Yeah, but if I they can. get off to a bad start, then all the media will be back. So just win, baby. Yes, I completely agree. I think winning cures all. Um, I have to think, you know, if the Seahawks had gone on a deeper playoff run, would we be having this um, comp- this um, this talk? Um, I really think that 
It's about winning. I think Russ wants to win. I think Carol wants to win. I think ignore all this and get off to a good start. And we won't even remember this uh, controversy by by October. I agree. Um, Our next listener question is from Dakota from the great state of Colorado. And she wants to know what we... What are our opinions of uh, college athletes being paid uh, for for participating in football, basketball, or or various revenue generating sports? So my take is that, um, particularly the the large schools, they generate so much revenue. Texas and and a Michigan, um, and you look at all the that the athletes have to sacrifice um you know they can't take these part-time jobs it's uh they're traveling and all the the work and sacrifice it's it's they have the athletics plus that they have to study that i think having a small stipend that that will help help them especially if they're in a less uh, financially advantageous position I think that the NCA should should um, provide some stipends. Otherwise, what happens is to to kids that um, you know we used to joke about this all the time. The whole Ohio State uh, situation where kids got in trouble for for telling selling T-shirts, um, you know, to make a little bit of extra money. So I think the NCA can be pretty ridiculous and onerous on on the athletes who are actually the ones that are performing and helping all these high priced um, people maintain their standard of living. Well, I agree. I think that, um, you know, the NCA has the sort of veneer of amateurism when that's just not the reality. I mean, you know, like you said, schools like Michigan, UT, I mean, they have, a hundred thousand people at the stadiums watching their games. They probably make millions of dollars selling their merchandise each year. The Longhorns have even their own TV network. I mean, the TV revenue deals for college football and college basketball are just probably in the hundreds of millions of dollars. There's so much money in college sports that I just think if you're being honest, you can't say it's a purely amateur sporting field. Um, there's clearly a lot of money being made. And I think you're right. I think um, players are entitled to some of that um, cash. I think I agree. I think while they're at the, the, um, the uh, schools, I think they should receive a small uh, stipend you know, maybe the equivalent of a a part-time job where they couldn't work. And then I think they should also have the ability, just like a pro athlete, to make money off their likeness. Um, And I think that should be put maybe in a trust fund that becomes available to the player when they're finished playing. Um, Because some of these star athletes, some of these star college football players especially, I mean, their name, um, their jersey, their image that's used in by the um, by the uh, school for um, 
for uh, advertisement, that might be making millions of dollars each year. I think they're, they certainly should be entitled to that too. Um, because like I said, I mean, in some ways, these really are pro sports. I mean, I think UT football probably makes as much money as some smaller pro sports teams. So I definitely think it would be fair for a stipend and then, yeah, some sort of trust that players can access once they're done with with um, with um, school or all the ways in which their schools use their image and name to make money. That's a good point about the merchandising. And I, and I like the idea of, of, of putting it in a trust fund. So after, after they uh, graduate, the money will grow a little bit and give them, give them some extra, extra money because the facts are that it's so few athletes that actually make it to the profession, professional sports and most don't. So, you know, having a little bit of stipend, you know, some, some, um, little bit of money uh, go a long way to helping them, you know, in their next stage of their next life. Because most of, most of these athletes are are going to the real world and not not going to be professional athletes. Exactly. So our next question comes from Ernest Hemingway. I think he listened to the last last podcast. Um, he's big friends with Vince Lombardi, and I think they were sitting around talking, and he decided he was going to write in with a question and awesome. he wanted to know um, what uh, books we're reading. Are there any books that we can recommend to our listeners? Great question, Mr. Uh, Hemingway. Um, the last book I read was called station 11. Um, and it was, it, it came out a few years ago and it was a fairly popular uh, novel um, I will say it is about a plague that ends most of civilization. <laughs> so I do understand if in this moment with all the news regarding COVID on TV, if people maybe don't want a novel that centers on a uh, plague, but whether you read it this year or in a few years when things have calmed down, I do highly uh, recommend it. It's very well written. Um, and it's really, I think most post-apocalyptic books can be a, like, um, you know, that genre has had a, a lot of books and there's a lot about zombies and things like that. This, this is very grounded and kind of focuses more on individual characters and their lives before and after and um after the um plague so it's not even really sci-fi it feels very uh realistic and i think it's actually being made into an hbo series um so that might be worth checking out too but i really enjoyed that and i would give it my uh, recommendation oh yeah i i need to uh put that on my reading list thanks thanks for that tk that uh yeah, I like a good plague plague book. Um, the book that I recently read was Cold Millions um, by Jess Walter. And it's about two brothers um, in the turn of the century, the turn of the uh, 20th century, um, early 1900s in Spokane, Washington. And these two brothers were, were kind of tramps. Um, one of the older brothers was very idealistic, unionist, rebel rouser. And the other brother was more pragmatic, 
and just kind of wanted to get along, make a living, and, and lead a better life. Um, the interesting thing about this is that the the author interspersed some some real life characters into the story, and huh. and I really like these nonfictions where um, the author has done a lot of research, so I really get a feel of what the city of Spokane was in in the early early 1900s. Huh. Um, so there's there's a you know little it's a little bit of a thriller, a little bit of social commentary. Um, but it was it was a fascinating read, and especially you know the visiting uh, Spokane uh, during the wildfires. Um, you know, it's very cool historic historic Northwest city. So th that's that's a book that I I would definitely recommend to you, Mister Hemingway. I think you have a lot of time on your hands now. Well, that sounds like lots of fun. Yeah. Um, so we have. A uh, question uh, from Zeus in Greece. Oh wow! And Zeus wants to know uh, what mythical creature do we wish existed, and if we see any complications uh, if it existed. That is a great question, Zeus. Um, there are so many great creatures to choose from. I think. Two that come to mind, one would be a Pegasus, because I think that would be a very fun way to get A around. You know, you'd have a horse that could go very fast on land, but then it could fly. Um, I don't see too many complications with that, maybe except, you know, you'd have to work out the air traffic control with the planes, you know, make sure the planes and all the drones that are now flying, um, you know, maybe your Pegasus can fly in um, near the airport or things like that. Um, and then the Loch Ness monster, Ooh, because I, I think like that. so many people have tried to find it, and if it was actually real, just how fun that would be. And all these conspiracy theorists who years have sworn that they are right could be uh, vindicated. So that would be kind of fun. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, a modern-day mythical creature like you. Mine, um, of course, living up here in, in the north is uh, Sasquatch. Uh, I think it would be a heck, heck of a lot of fun if uh, Sasquatch existed. Um, I think oh, it would yeah. be great for tourism. Uh, the one complication I would think is I worry is um, Sasquatch is such an outdoor creature that I could see with our materialistic um, – you know, society that that the zoos would would try to capture Sas Sasquatch oh, no. and, and yeah. kind of like um, exhibit him, and he would be caged. Where Sasquatch is better out in the forest, where you very rarely get a glimpse of him. So um, that's true. Yeah, well, that uh, would be fun too. Sasquatch, Loch Ness, and a Pegasus. That'd be fun if they all yeah were found to exist. Maybe Ernest Hemingway can find a way to make that happen. Come on. <laughs> and our last question is, um, uh, there was, this is from Anonymous. Uh, and Anonymous wants to know, if you were transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you prove that you were from 2021? 
Those would be 1621. Um, this was a tough question. I had to wrap my brain around it. Um, and the honest truth is, in my opinion, I, I just couldn't think of a way it could be done. Just because I think anything you say, um, they would think you were just crazy. Other years, like if it was a bit closer to the present, I could maybe predict like historical events. Like if I had, was dropped in 1921, I could say, you know, the stock market is going to crash in eight years. I could tell you who's going to win the presidential election in 1924. Um, I could make kind of these near term future predictions that people would know that I was telling the truth. But I think if it was 1621, I just would, I mean, I could try to say, you know, say I was dropped off in Europe, I could try to like explain in detail the, you know, the world on the, on the, but I don't know. I just think that anything I said, they'd probably just, yeah, I mean, you saw like uh, Galileo, like he tried to say that the earth was not the center of the solar system and he was almost killed for it. I think it'd be the same thing. I could try to say the truth, but I just think no one would believe me and they'd probably just end up trying to kill me or run me out of town. So I will, I'd love to know if you had any thoughts on this. Cause I tried to wrap my brain, but I just couldn't find it any good way where people just think I was a lunatic or try to kill me. Yeah, no, that is so the 1600s were were a crazy time. I mean, you're talking about plagues. You're talking about the Spanish Inquisition. Um, so my thought, my thought was that I I would just try to capitalize and try to convince people that I was a. Uh, I wouldn't try to convince them that I was from 2021, um, but I would try to convince them that I was a sorcerer, as I would predict you know, when, um, you know, Galileo was going to be in trouble, um, when the Spanish Inquisition, when the Taj Mahal was going to be built, um, when some of the ships were going to sail to the, the colonies. So I would, I would, I would just try to profit. I would not try to sell anyone that I'm from 2021. Um, I would, I would just try, I would just try to make the almighty buck by, by predicting things. Well, that would be fun, but um, yeah, like you said, crazy time. I, I honestly don't know. You know, I think without my, I think without knowing much about farming, I probably would not live very long. Right, and that's the thing. Most most people were were poor, were farmers, or fighting fighting in wars. Um, so I would actually would like to go into the future. Than, than the past. Yeah. And I definitely like a way back, you know, like I think it'd be fun to go see what it's like to live in 1621 for a couple of days, but ultimately have a button. So if the mob gathers and tries to run me out of town, I can press my button and come back to a modern day. And same thing with the, uh, with the uh, future, you know, I love to, just very curious what the next few um, centuries will look like, but I'd love a button because, you know, if you go into the future and it's a radioactive wasteland, you can always press your button and go back to the present day. There was a show when I, when I was a kid that uh, where the 
it looked like NASA. They had the, like this control center, and they sent these two people went went were traveling in time, and they kept every episode they kept trying to bring them back to the present time, but something would always happen, and they would send them to the future. They'd send them into the past, and it had you know like this. Um, um, you know, Twilight Zone kind of graphics, like the spirals, you know, black and white circles where they would go in and then they would get thrown out to where the dinosaurs were or something like that. So I definitely want a sophisticated, sophisticated device and not not like the time traveling devices that they had in the 1960s. <laughs> uh, well, that's been a, a, a pleasure. I want. Oh. Before I forget, some some notes to all our listeners. You know, um, Tanner, have you been following the NFTs? The NFTs, no. Uh, those are the um, non fungible um, tokens. So it's oh yes, I did see. <laughs> yes, um, recently someone created some digital art. These NFTs that was then they sold it for like. Uh, I think his name was Baptiste. But he sold it for like $60 million. Wow. Well, you'll be happy to know that we have created our own NFT for all our listeners could bid on the NFT for the very first KNA Sports Picks podcast file. So if you're wow. interested, contact us. You can send us an email at knapicks at gmail.com. And the price. The prize, um, what um, our prize, what you're going to be offering us, will be will be determined. I'm thinking loosely. I'm thinking a couple cups of coffee for for the NFT for the first for our first file for our first podcast. But <laughs> what you can think about that? Well, that is exciting. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to um, having you know people bidding for it and, and someone someone receiving our first file. Well, maybe I will have to make a bid, so I hope everyone gets their bids in. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, we talked about um, our baseball preview. We're doing our baseball preview in April, and on that we'll probably spend a few minutes talking about the NFL draft. Yes, yeah, the baseball preview, a classic K&A episode that I know fans look forward to each year. Um, so I'm getting, I'm very excited for that. And who knows, maybe we'll be able to secure a special guest or something. That's right. And maybe one of my picks will actually hit in the baseball season. Well, I, I have nowhere to go but up after the March Madness debacle. <laughs> yep. And so listeners, I, I hope you have or having better picking success than than we are here at the KNA Sports Picks podcast, but it's all in fun. Any final thoughts, TK? Oh, enjoy the rest of the March Madness. Baseball is near, and um, hopefully Tottenham can make a good end of the year push. Yeah, go Hot Spurs and go Hawks. <laughs>